So we had a major snowstorm a week and a half ago. We still have some snow on the ground. We'd done full preparation for it. Got in plenty of food, ice for two ice chests, 12 gallons of gas for the generator, if necessary, plenty of batteries for the flashlights and lamps, split kindling, firewood split, stacked near the back door and covered, ice melt ready, snow shovel ready, winter coveralls out, stormy cromer cap near the door. I took Sam out Saturday night to do her duties and the first flakes were falling. So we were ready for snow. We just didn't want to lose power. That is no fun. I got up early Sunday morning. Oh boy, we had 14 inches of snow, but still had power. Oh, that is good. I started a fire. I put on my gear and started shoveling. That was work. Shovel out the back of the house, shovel over to the garage. Shovel the front deck, shovel the walks. Boy, I was tired. About an hour later, Sammy and Dawn got up. For Sam, it's party time. She went bounding around like a young deer. She'd stick her head in the snow, eat it, catch snowballs in her mouth. She loves the cold. She loves the snow. For humans, it's work to walk through that stuff. I set off to go down and feed the goats. I took my shortcut across the field in front of the house. I swear, some of those drifts were two feet deep. I'm in decent shape, but I was huffing and puffing and sweating when I finally got down there. Those girls were so happy to see me. Well, even happier to get their feed. I gave them an extra ration. I cleaned the ice and snow off of their water trough while they were eating their grain put a block of hay in their manger. Boy, they ran in there, and I fed them their treat of carrots and celery, cut bite size. I looked at them closely. Are you girls gaining weight? Do you have babies inside you? I think I can see a difference. They didn't answer. They were too busy eating hay. When they eat, you can hear them chew every bite. I think it's great. So they couldn't get out and graze for three days. They do enjoy their barn. It's not warm, but it's dry. This is Ernie Johnson, founder of Anashira. I can't believe that Christmas is next Tuesday. I'm so glad we're not traveling for the holidays. There's a giant rainstorm hitting us and the rest of the East Coast right now. A two-day event. It will snarl up traffic in the air and on the ground for days. So if you're a little late for your holiday shopping, Christmas or whatever, and don't want to hit the malls, go to anashira.com and buy a few bars of our outstanding, luxurious goat milk soap. You know, I stopped at our mechanic shop to pick up our car a couple of days ago, and Luis, the owner, bought eight bars of soap, two of each. I'll give some away, and we'll use the others. Okay, so we took him the soap. The next day I get a call. Ernie, I have a problem. Okay, what is it, Luis? My wife gave away all of that soap as presents. I don't have any for myself. Do you have any more? Sure, I do. Can I have eight more bars? No problem, buddy. We'll drop it by. 
I even gave him a 10% discount. You know, he never gives me a discount on the mechanical work he does. But hey, that's the kind of guy I am. Now, that's a problem I love people to have, running out of soap. So be like Luis's wife. Be generous with your bars of soap. Use discount code STORIES20. That's STORIES20 for your 20% discount. It's good through January the 1st. So I told you how we got off in our life in the Airstream. This week, I'll tell you a little bit more about that life. So we spent a week in San Antonio and then headed off for Seminole Canyon State Park. It's on the border of Mexico. It was to be our first experience dry camping and we did everything we could to prepare for it. So dry camping, a little bit about that. You know this Airstream has its own supplies and dry camping means you're on a piece of land. There's no electrical outlet. There's no hookup for your sewer to dump it. There's no running water for you and you're completely dependent on what you're carrying. So it's a little bit different. So we drive, and Seminole Canyon is in the middle of nowhere. It was populated by several Indian tribes and a lot of Gila monsters and lizards and scorpions and other not-so-desirable animals. But it's starkly, it has a stark beauty to it. So we drive down there and we get ourselves a site, and uh, I unhook the trailer. Now, the trailer has two big batteries, so you've got electricity, and these hook up to a number of different lights inside the vehicle. You've got a 35-gallon fresh water tank. You have storage tanks for your gray water, which is water from the sink, and storage for black water, which is from your toilet. So we set up, and you have to be careful. You have to ration yourself. We wanted to be there a week, and we didn't know if we could do it. So the good thing about these camps is they do have restrooms. So we found a way to ration our water was to not use our own toilet except in an emergency. We'd go up and use the public restrooms. And there's a shower in this trailer. It's a beautiful shower, hot water. And uh, you heat the water off of your propane tanks. But the more water you use, the less water you have available to drink and cook with and all that sort of stuff. So we got there, we set up and we started hiking. And we did some research on this area. It turned out that early man was there 12,000 years ago. Climate was completely different, was wetter, more animals, elephant, camels, bison, horse, all kinds of things roamed this plain. And then it changed and became drier. And about 7,000 years ago, the landscape looked much like it did today. And there was a new culture appeared. These people, they gathered wild plants and hunted small animals there wasn't enough to eat that would support 
big populations. And they found inspiration and energy to paint pictographs on rock shelters in different parts of this countryside. One day we got together with the rangers and they took a number of us on a hike down to the Fate Bell Shelter, famous for its pictographs. These are preserved in the Pecos River style. They date back three to 4,000 years ago and you have to hike in and it's a big shelter, a rock shelter. It's amazing what these people did. One day we hiked into the White Shaman Preserve to see this pictograph site. It's on the lower Pecos River. It's right above where the Pecos runs into the Rio Grande. You hike down these steep canyons, cacti on both sides, and you get to this rock formation paintings on the side of this cliff. Now they say that it shows the flight of the shaman to the land of the spirits and his death and rebirth. I couldn't get any of that, but it was fascinating. So we'd go home and, so what do you do in the middle of nowhere? Well, you read. There's really no radio, no television. You have a campfire and you can cook. We grilled out pork chops, steaks, chicken. We did a lot of reading. We took all kinds of books with us. And when that sun went down, there is no light contamination in this part of the world. You looked up and the stars were everywhere and bright and the constellations were bright and it was quiet. People that go to these kinds of parks don't seem to make a lot of noise at night. And they don't party like those people back in the Everglades, thank God. Oh yeah, I think I told you we took two bicycles with us. So we rode our bicycles every day up on Highway 90. Uh, it was not really easy cycling, but... I was training and Dawn was training. We were planning on going to France to follow the Tour de France that summer. And I wanted Dawn to uh, take one of the major climbs with us. So we rode every day and we did this for a week. And we found out that we, uh, we were running out of water and the batteries were draining down quite a bit. And... Uh, this was really in preparation for a stay that we had been planning for some time. We were going to continue on west and then south into Big Bend National Park. Now, this park was important for Dawn and her family. So we left Seminole Canyon. We dumped our tanks, black water, gray water, got our batteries recharged, restocked our supplies, and headed on the very out-of-the-way route to get to Big Bend National Park. And we were, we decided to park 
in a place called Cottonwood Campground. Now, this was right on the Rio Grande River. It was dry camping, uh, no bathrooms. They did have spigots with water, and they did have outhouses. So this place was in the middle of nowhere. Now, the campsites were big. You were not close to your neighbor. Cottonwood trees around. It was stark, but it was beautiful. Now, why did we want to go there? Dawn's mother and her stepfather, Joanne and Bob, had volunteered at Big Bend National Park for several years, and they loved it. Now, Bob had died several years before this, and her mother always had wonderful memories and talked about the great time they had working at Big Bend. She talked about their friends, the ranger named Kathy, who was uh, high up in the organization, and her husband, John, who was a Border Patrol agent. Now, that's a quite a mixture of people, isn't it? So we settled in. Set up the campsite, sort of made an itinerary of what we wanted to do. The first thing we did was head out to try to find Kathy. We drove up to her office and uh, they said, well, she's up in the Chisos Mountains training some new people and told us where the house was that she lived with John. So we drove over there. No one was home and left a note. I'm Dawn, blah, blah, blah. I'm Joanne's daughter, and we'd love to see you. And we're staying in Cottonwood Campground. Okay, so we go home, and we're sitting there in the afternoon, and uh, I hear some noise outside the trailer. And I go and look, and I said, Dawn, I think someone's here to see you. So she opens the door. And there's a big horse with a ranger in full uniform sitting on top of it. He says, is this Don Johnson? Yes. Well, I'm ranger so-and-so, and Kathy asked me to come by so you could see Poncho. And this was a horse that when... Bob and Joanne were volunteering at the camp. He was the only one allowed to ride this horse. He was an excellent horseman. And Pancho, who had one blue eye, incidentally, was pretty finicky. There were only a couple of rangers who could ride her, and Bob was the only volunteer. So Joanne had these wonderful memories of Kathy and John and Bob riding around in Pancho. So there were other people in this in the campground at the time, and I think they were kind of shocked to see a ranger riding up to our airstream and uh, stopping. So he said, well, Kathy wanted to let you know that she got your message, and they're going to swing by tonight to say hello if you're going to be around. Yeah, sure, where are we going to go anyway? Okay, great. So that was pretty fun. Don enjoyed it. And uh, we have dinner and it's starting to get dark. And uh, I said, Don, I think we have company. Uh, 
So a ranger truck pulls up next to it, and there's two people get out, a woman ranger in full uniform and a border patrol agent. It's Kathy and John. So we introduce ourselves. We'd never met, none of us. And, uh, yeah, it's great to see you. And John says, I got a cooler of beer in the back. And I said, well, I got a bunch of beer in my fridge. So we sit down and start talking and drinking. And they're telling us stories. I mean, these guys have stories. Can you imagine a member of the Border Patrol on the Rio Grande River uh, stuff he goes through every day. I mean, he told us it used to be before 9-11, you could cross a river, there's a small town on the other side, people would cross over there, eat like kings in the restaurant, come back home. Not anymore. You cross that river, you don't come back without a passport legally. And Kathy told us stories of people walking in the canyon, hiking without enough water, and they'd go in and find bodies. And they told us of someone, they were sure someone fell to their death from one of the uh, ridges on one of the canyons. And they were sure that she had been pushed to death by her husband, but they couldn't prove it. Stuff like this. So we're drinking beer and, you know, you got to, jump up and relieve yourself. And here's Border Patrol Agent John saying, I'm not going to use that outhouse. Let's just go over here to the woods. So I am I think I told you earlier about Seminole Canyon and how quiet it was at night. Well, it's 1030 at night. Everybody's gone to bed and we're whooping and hollering and drinking beer. And oh my gosh. So it was good to see him. And Dawn was so pleased to see Poncho and we decide one day we're going to take a canoe trip on the Rio Grande to see some of the countryside. So we go down, there's an outfitter and there's a guide. So we head out and the river wasn't very deep because most of the water at this time of year had been uh, pulled out for agriculture, but it's beautiful and we're going through the canyons and uh, Dawn's at the front, I'm in the back of the canoe, and somehow we now and then get stuck in the brush on the side of the river, and of course Dawn blames me because I'm the captain of this vessel. So we're riding along, and all of a sudden I hear this noise. It sounds like a jet engine coming down. <laughs> coming out of nowhere, flying down. All of a sudden it stops. And I look and it's a peregrine falcon. These birds are incredible. And there's a number of them that live in this park. And this bird was diving down. They reached speeds in their dives of over 200 miles an hour. There were a group of, was a group of ducks on the river and the falcon will fly down. It can't kill them on the water. It has to shock them into flying and then it can attack and kill them. So actually we were sort of stuck in the reeds at the time and Dawn couldn't get a good view of this. And I think to this day, she has always blamed me for taking away that view of the peregrine falcon. And we went hiking. Uh, 
We went hiking in the Chisos Mountains. This is a giant park. It is the only national park that has an entire mountain range in the middle of it. And uh, so you've got desert habitat. You have mountain habitat. There's a colony of these peregrine falcons that lives on the side of one of the mountains in the Chisos Mountain Range. It was gorgeous. We walked in the canyons. We hiked the Santa Elena Mountain Trail. This really was a great spectacle. You cross Terlingua Creek and climb up a few short switchbacks, and then it descends along the banks of the Rio Grande. You look up 1,500-foot towering vertical cliffs of solid limestone. Uh, you continue until the canyon meets the Rio Grande. It's great. Our last night at Big Ben, we went uh, to John and Kathy's house for dinner. I'd never eaten at a ranger's house. I'd never eaten at a border patrol agent's house. We had a great time. And the next morning, we pack up and drive out, and we stop on the side of the road. I said, I got to make a cup of coffee, and we just got to take one last look at this beautiful place. So we're on the side of the road. I go back in, turn on the stove, heat up some water because we can't use our coffee pot. It's electric. And uh, we sit there looking out at the Chisos Mountains and at this beautiful Chihuahua Desert and all the cacti out there. We left Big Bend and drove up the road to Marfa, a small town with uh, a lot of history. And we got a room at the Hotel St. George, the nicest hotel in that town. And I got to tell you, we went up, saw the bathroom, turned on that shower with hot water. And I'll bet that shower flowed for an hour and a half. We'd left the trailer parked across the street. Boy, it's the first night we hadn't slept in that bed for months. We got dressed up a little bit and went downstairs to a very nice restaurant. And I got to tell you, we had a hell of a meal. Now, we headed west across the country. You know, Californians are unique. We used to believe that the world ended at the Sierra Nevada mountains when I grew up. So we'd spent a week in Portland, Dawn and I, and headed west. We started in Cannon Beach. It was there we ate Pacific razor clams. Oh, I'd never eaten these things before. We breaded them and fried them quickly, served them with lemon juice. I made a delicious clam chowder. Boy, they cook very quickly. The meat is delicate. I put them in the chowder when everything else was done and just let them steep. We uh, headed south down toward a city called Newport, small city. You know, Californians were absolutely wrong about Oregon. It is a gorgeous state. It has people who are incredibly polite. And the coast is spectacular. So, Newport had a very nice RV park near the water. It has a commercial fishery, sport fishing boats, great restaurants, I'd wanted to go there because it was a home of the Rogue Brewery. This is a microbrewery I'd been a fan of for a long time. 
made a beer called Dead Guy Ale. And uh, we went there, and I happened to go out one day on a sport fishing boat, and we went out for Ling Cod. I had a heck of a time. So we went back there the next year. I really wanted to go fishing again, sports fishing. And I went down to the harbor, check on my favorite charter boat, and it was there. It had a new captain, but uh, there was a bit of a problem. There were storms out in the Pacific Ocean sending in big swells into the coast. And Newport had a, although it had a harbor that was protected, it had a channel you had to get through to get out to the ocean. And these waves would come to the coast and they'd swell up in the channel. So if you had maybe a five-foot swell on the ocean, it'd be 10 or 12 feet going through this channel. And that was a real problem for these fishing boats. So... I made a reservation, talked to the guys who ran this boat, and they explained, well, we may go out tomorrow, we may not. I said, okay. So I get a call that night. No, sir, Ernie, we're not going out tomorrow. Maybe in three days. Okay, put me down. So uh, we watched every day. The swells come in. Three days came. Another call. Oh, we're not going out today. We may go out on Saturday. Okay, put me down. So uh, this had taken a week. So we extended our stay in Newport, which was not a problem because we could walk downtown. Actually, Rogue Brewery had a bar that featured their beers in town. And it was a lot more fun to drink there than it was out uh, in the brewery itself. So Saturday comes. Yeah, they said, called up. We're heading out early. Be down here. So... I packed up small ice chest, put in a couple of beers and put some chips and a sandwich and uh, off I headed. And we get there and the captain, it's a new captain, he tells us, it's going to be rough, boys. I'm going to try to get out there. Is there anybody who gets seasick? Yeah, one guy said, I do get seasick. Captain said, well... It's not only going to be rough getting out there, but they're going to be big swells all day. So if you think you might get sick, you might want to hold on for another day. And this guy headed out of there, which is good because you don't want anybody throwing up on your shoes when you're out fishing for ling cod. So ling cod, there are, they are neither a ling nor a cod. They're a rockfish, and they're the ugliest looking fish you've ever seen. And they're a heck of a lot of fun to catch. There's a limit of two of them per day in the state of Oregon. And uh, sometimes they're difficult to catch. But the best thing about them, they are delicious eating. The meat is white and it is outstanding. So we get all set on the boat. Captain says, Captain Doug says, okay, folks, here we go. So we're cruising through the harbor, and it's very calm. And we hit the channel, and this channel is maybe 300 yards long. And as soon as we hit the channel, boy, the swell hits us. And then the swell gets bigger, and it gets bigger. And before five minutes, it's like we're on a roller coaster. We're working our way up the top of the swell, and then whew, zooming down to the bottom of it and 
I tell you, though, there were maybe five of us on this boat, and we were all ready for an exciting day, and we loved it, and up and down, and we got out past the channel, and there were white caps everywhere, and we cruised along about, oh, I suppose maybe half an hour to the fishing waters, and they, this guy knew where to find fish, Captain Doug. So we go one place, and we stop, and uh, we get set up, put our lines in the water, and I pretty much knew what I was doing, but uh, so we start, we not only catching lingcod, we're catching, we're catching other rockfish, uh, vermilion rockfish, canary rockfish, these are not pretty fish, but boy, they are delicious, and we're also catching yellow eye rockfish, and you don't want to keep one of those, they're not legal to keep, and if you're caught with one, you pay a big fine in the state of Oregon. So we're catching these fish, and uh, I feel a fish on my line, and f- feels kind of small, and Captain Doug comes over and says, what do you got, Ernie? I said, I don't know. It doesn't. It's not a lingcod. I don't know what it is. I pull it up, and the captain looks over, and he says, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh, you have a kelp greenling. You know what that is? No, I have no idea. Well, they're a greenling that lives in kelp, and they're delicious to eat. But I'll tell you what, Ernie, what is a lot more fun is put that fish back in the water, Use that fish as bait, and a lingcod may come by and grab it and try to eat it. And if you can feel it, you reel it up nice and slowly. Don't shake him off that fish. And you may use that kelp greenling to pull in a nice big lingcod. I said, okay, let's give it a try. So I throw that thing back in the water, and uh, I'm waiting. He says, now you got to feel it. You'll feel it go. Now, these lingcods, they give a bit of a fight. So I feel something tugging on it. He's watching me. These other guys are watching me. I reel it in. It's a couple hundred feet down. I reel it in. Oh, my gosh, Ernie, you got a good lingcod on there. So he gets the gaff, and I get the thing up near the boat. Boom, pulls it out. That's a beautiful lingcod. Put that kelp greenling down again. So I put it down again. I caught another one. I said, well, I'm done for the day. I got my two lingcods. No, Captain Doug says, you can give this fish away. Let's go see if you can get one more. I said, well, this kelp greenling's suffering, this poor guy. Captain Doug says, let's get another one. So I put it down. I don't know. It was my lucky day. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I feel a tug. Boom. Up comes another lingcod. So I give it away. I've only got you. Each guy has his own little box with his fish in it so I got two lingcod there and other people on the boat have my lingcod we decide to move to a different site man I have a beer have some chips eat my sandwich it was still rough that boat was going up and down and side to side but boy it was a good day so we're heading back to the channel and Captain Doug says Ernie here, you take the wheel. I got to go down below for a couple minutes. Man, I don't take the wheel. He says, just steer into those waves. Just steer right into them. I wasn't the person that I would choose to run a boat like that back in through those big waves. But uh, I was sure glad to see him when he came back up from the toilet. So we finished and heading back. And I'll tell you, going back through that channel, 
into the port of Newport. It was as rough as it was going out. I thought we were going to hit the side of it. I thought we were going to like fly off the top of the boat. Dom was waiting for us when we got in. We must have looked a little green about the gills because she said, you guys okay? Yeah, we're okay. So we cleaned the fish and I gave away really all my rockfish. We had no room for them. I kept a few pounds of fillets and took a few heads home. Made a delicious chowder out of them. Yeah, I love Newport, Oregon, as I do many of the places we visited. Well, folks, we're well out of time today. It's been an exciting year. Making these podcasts has allowed me to go back in time and visit friends I haven't seen in years, many of whom are gone. I've traveled through different countries with you, and introduce you to some places you've probably never heard of before. Well, it's too late for you to buy soaps as Christmas presents, but you could think about Epiphany. It's also called Three Kings Day. Many countries across the world celebrate this day. You remember me talking about my ex-brother-in-law, Gilberto, the one who arranged the hotel for our joint vacation in Fuengirola, Spain? Well, When Beto grew up in Paraguay, he'd leave his shoes outside the door on the evening of January 5th every year. On the morning of the 6th, he'd get up and look for presents in his shoes left by the reyes, the kings. So if you miss Christmas, you can still buy bars of soap and put them in the shoes of your children or spouse or any guests you might have around. That would be very creative and certainly well-received. Don't forget your 20% discount. Code STORIES20 is good until midnight of January the 1st. Thanks to our sponsor, Anashira, who made the distribution of these stories possible in 2018. We're due for a big sit-down in early January to review their plans for the next year. I have a some ideas on how to present my case for continuing these podcasts. So, cross your fingers and think good thoughts. Merry Christmas and a happy, healthy, and prosperous new year to each of you. I wish you peace.